Great to see you all this morning to be able to worship God together as we worship God looking both forward and backwards. We look backwards to Christ's death on the cross this morning and then David as he led us in the song. We're looking forward to that day when we can be together forever in heaven, worshiping God in heaven together. What a wonderful day that will be. Well, we all are familiar with the idea that there are some things that you shouldn't say if you want to have productive conversations. For instance, those of us who've been married for any length of time know there are certain things that we don't say to our spouse if we want to have a productive conversation. Maybe you want to talk about the to-do list. Maybe you know there are certain words that you shouldn't use and certain ways you shouldn't approach that discussion if you want to have a productive discussion about the to-do list. Maybe it's with your boss. Maybe there, you know there's some certain things you shouldn't say to your boss if you want to have a good conversation with your boss. When I was a young man, I was riding with uh, some other kids uh, in a car, and I was not the driver, but the driver got pulled over. And when the officer walked up to the window, the, driver, the, the young man who was driving said in sort of a flippant voice to the officer, can I help you with something? That wasn't the right thing to say to the officer. He quickly was asked to get out of his car, and he got a good chewing out for that. There are certain things that you don't say if you want to have a productive conversation. And I want to tell you this morning that there are certain things that we should not say if we want to have productive religious discussions. Religious discussions are good, and we need them. And we see them being used over and over again in the Bible. In Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, Paul was in the custom of having religious discussions. We need to have them. In Acts 17, verse 1, Now when they had passed through Ampelophobus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. We need to be having religious discussions. But there are certain phrases that are counterproductive to having good religious discussions. Phrases that almost always will derail the conversation and render it unproductive. Many times when these phrases are used, they bring the productive discussion to, the, to a halt. This morning I want to propose there are five such phrases that we should never use in a religious discussion. Five phrases that will render those discussions fruitless and unproductive. The first of those is the phrase, my pastor says. When being questioned about an activity or a belief or a doctrine, many times people will try and justify it by saying, well, my pastor says. For example, why does your church sprinkle instead of immersing someone for baptism. Well, my pastor says that this is okay. You go to someone and you say, you know, I don't think you have a scriptural right to marry that man or that woman. Well, I talk to my pastor and my pastor says it's okay. As if, well, if my pastor says it, if I play that card... Well, then that's the end of the discussion. My pastor says it's okay, and we don't have to talk about it anymore. There are a lot of problems with that phrase when it's used. First off, we need to talk about what the Bible says about pastors. A pastor is not the equivalent of a preacher. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. You notice that the evangelist or the preacher is a different function than that of being a pastor. In the religious world today, those two terms are used synonymously, that the evangelist is the pastor. But in the Bible, those are two different offices. The Greek word translated pastor in this passage means a shepherd, a shepherd. And the idea of being a shepherd is connected not with the idea of being the evangelist, but with the idea of being an elder. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am also a, a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly to you, but by being examples to the flock. They're to shepherd the flock. They're to shepherd the flock. They are to be examples to the flock. The elders are the shepherds. The elders are the pastors according to the Bible. The pastor is not the same thing as the preacher. Now, a preacher could be a pastor, but not all preachers are pastors. A pastor is an elder. Furthermore, the idea of a singular pastor, as in my pastor or the pastor, is not a scriptural concept either. Whenever we read about pastors or elders in the Bible, they're always mentioned in the plurality, categorically. Never do we read about an elder singular. Elders were always in the plurality in the churches. In uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul left Titus behind so that he could establish not a single, singular pastor or elder, but elders in the plurality. In, first, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders, plural, in every city as I commanded you. And so if we're going to follow the biblical pattern, and we're going to use biblical terms in the right way, we're going to talk about pastors or elders in the plural. They're always going to be in the plural, and they're not synonymous with the preacher. Secondly, there's another problem with this idea when you say, my pastor says something, and therefore it's okay. Frankly, it doesn't matter what your pastor or elder or preacher says, because the elder or the preacher do not establish truth. God's Word establishes truth. And so why do you do something? It's not because somebody said it was okay. Don't care who it was. What matters is what does the Bible say. In John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. This is what determines if something's okay. Not what anybody else says. I don't care who it is. This is truth. And this is the only way we determine right and wrong. And preachers and elders are required to teach this and this only. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, But if even we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
As we said before, so say I now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Elders and preachers have to speak the truth. They don't determine the truth. They must speak the truth. And if what they're speaking doesn't line up with this, then they're to be accursed. And so I can't just take the answer of a preacher or an elder or any other Christian as being the truth. I must compare it with the standard. So just saying my pastor says it's okay doesn't get the job done, does it? And furthermore, what's even frightening about that is the scriptures warn us about false teachers over and over again. And surprisingly, guess what? The Bible tells us that false teachers might be preachers or elders. Preachers are warned or condemned here in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. But the, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Peter says there are going to be preachers that come and say, it's okay, you can do that. They're false teachers. And people who listen to the false teachers the preacher who said something's okay that the Bible says is not okay, guess what? They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be punished for following the false teacher. False teachers can be preachers. And even elders can lead people astray. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, as Paul calls the elders from Ephesus to him, when, he gets to them, when they get to him, he says to them, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will arise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Even elders can be guilty of teaching things that aren't true. And so just saying, my pastor says, whether you're referring to the preacher or as the Bible uses the term pastor to the elders, that doesn't end the discussion, does it? Because that simply doesn't prove anything. We should never justify a belief or a practice or an action as being okay because my pastor said it's okay. We never want to use that phrase. I'll tell you another phrase that we should never use in religious discussions is, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Many people make their decisions religiously based upon what they think about certain subjects. When presented a question about God's will for them, they answer the question with how they feel about it. And they say things like, I don't see anything wrong with it, as if that settles the question. What about my association with the brother who's gone back into the world and is living an unfaithful life? You know, the Bible says we need to withdraw from that person. And when you present that to someone you, and you say, you know what, we shouldn't be associating with him, or you know what the answer many times is? Well, I don't see anything wrong with it. How am I going to be an influence for good if I'm not around him? And if I pull away from him, that'll just poison him against the church. We can't do that. I, I just don't see anything wrong with it. What about the person on the job? who's in a position uh, to do something that's, that's not scriptural, that's not right, that's going to compromise themselves morally. You know what they say? I don't.
don't see anything wrong with it. I don't think you see anything wrong with it. Or the work of the church. About the, the idea of the church getting involved in the social gospel and turning its focus from the spiritual to the physical. What's wrong with it? Folks who are in churches that are engaged in that, you know what they say? I don't see anything wrong with it. Uh, you know, it could be good. It'd be good for the church to provide some recreation. We might have the opportunity to teach. I just don't see anything wrong with it. And then that's supposed to end the discussion. We could go on and on. But rather than being committed to what God says, many are relying on their own thinking and their own opinions. The problem is that we've all tried this, haven't we? And it didn't work. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. You know when someone says, I don't see anything wrong with it, that ought to be a red flag, shouldn't it? There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. Paul tried this. Paul tried doing what he thought was right. And if you'd ask Paul as he's persecuting Christians, Paul, you think you ought to be doing that? You know what he would have said? I don't see anything wrong with it. In Acts chapter 26, verse 9, if, um, I indeed myself thought, I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul was on fire persecuting Christians. And he would say that he did that with a clean conscience. I don't see anything wrong with it, in other words. Very dangerous when people use this type of thinking. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, God says, It is not in man that walketh. It is not in the man, I uh, uh, know uh, the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. We can't do it. We can't do it. And can you imagine the absurdity of this approach? God has given us his word. He's given us his instructions on what he wants from us. We have the mind of God. And instead of following this, we want to follow what seems right to us. It's blasphemy, isn't it? To use the approach, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. It's the equivalent, I believe, of what they were doing in Romans 1, verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Aren't we worshiping ourselves with this type of attitude? When I look at the decisions that I need to make and I just decide, does that look good to me? Do you see anything wrong with it? I don't see anything wrong with it. I'm, and I just do what I want to do rather than looking to God's word. I believe I'm worshiping myself. We should never use this term and the phrase in religious discussions, I don't see anything wrong with it. Tell you another phrase that we need to be careful about in religious discussions is the term or the phrase our tradition. When discussing things with folks, many times you hear this term our tradition, the phrase our tradition being used. For example, in discussing our worship, there are some folks in the church who will say, well, our tradition is to worship God with a cappella music. It's our tradition. Or our tradition is to take of the Lord's Supper 
on every churches of Christ to use only male preachers. It's our tradition, is what many people will say in the church. The problem with that is that it reduces the commandments of God to being simply something that we've always done, our tradition. We've got a lot of traditions in our lives, don't we? A lot of things that we've just sort of do, started doing just because that's just what we've done over a period of time. For instance, maybe your, your tradition is that you always go to the mountains at a certain time of year. You always take a family vacation at a certain time of year. Maybe that's your tradition. Maybe you eat a traditional meal at a certain time of year. I remember my grandmother used to always want to have cooked cabbage on New Year's Day. I guess because if you eat cooked cabbage on New Year's Day, the year can only go up from there. I don't know. But it was her, her tradition. That that's what you had to do. And when someone says our tradition in religious discussions, what they're doing is equating something that we do is just something that we've always done. That's why we do it. And that's all there is to it. It's not a, anything more than just uh, a habit that we have. I want to tell you that our practices need not to be just something that we've always done. But they need to be based upon what God has said in His Word. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything that we do needs to be based on God's commands. Not just a habit or a tradition, but we're doing it because God said to do it. Why do we sing a cappella? Why do we take the Lord's Supper every Sunday? Why do we only have male preachers? It isn't because it's what we've always done or what we've done for a long time. It's because God's Word says to do it that way. Some are going to object, though, because Paul said that we're to keep their traditions, and he did in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Paul said we do need to keep their traditions, but you know that Greek word that's translated traditions simply means something that is transmitted Paul had transmitted these things to them, and they were to keep them. And they were uh, not something that was just a custom, because they were taught, whoops, they were taught they needed to do that by word or epistle. They had been taught to do these things. These were commands that they were to be keeping. They needed to be keeping them. We need to avoid using the, this idea that it's our tradition. Now, there's a caveat to that. There are things that we do that are traditional, they're not law. We shouldn't bind them on others. Matthew 15, verse 3 would tell us that. The times of day that we meet, the order of our services, those are sort of traditions. But we're not talking about that. When people talk about our tradition, they're talking about doctrinal things, things that the Bible's taught us to do. And we do that. When we throw them into this bucket of just being a tradition, we put them in the wrong category. I'll tell you another phrase that we need to avoid, and this one might be a shock to you, is the phrase, the churches of Christ. We hear this a lot in religious discussions. Someone says, the churches of Christ this, or the churches of Christ that. For example, someone might say, the churches of Christ believe, and then go on to list some doctrinal position. Or the churches of Christ don't, and go on to mention something that, that, that churches of Christ don't do. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of problems with this language. We need to avoid this type of language in our discussions. First, 
This language carries with it the idea of a denominational concept, doesn't it? It implies that all churches of Christ are like the Baptist or the Methodist, where they've got their conventions. They're just another denomination. And they've got some type of convention or organization that determines what they're going to believe and practice. In John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus condemns the idea of denominationalism. In John 17, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. We're not just another denomination. Denominationalism is wrong. Jesus wants us all to be unified. And to say things like the churches of Christ just sort of puts us in the same category as the Methodist or the Baptist or any other denomination. We're not a denomination. And secondly, it implies that churches of Christ are somehow organized under some kind of a central organization or central earthly organization that determines what we're going to believe in practice. Like the Southern Baptist Convention where all the churches assemble together and determine what they'll believe in practice. And that what position they're going to take on some issue that's a current issue. The churches of Christ aren't like that. The churches of Christ don't have a central organization. Many view uh, the Roman Catholic Church this way, right? The Pope determines what they're going to believe, what they're going to practice, what their position is going to be. The churches of Christ aren't like that. We don't have an earthly head. In the New Testament... Our understanding of what we see in the New Testament is that each church was independent and autonomous. The church's only allegiance is to Christ as the head. It is not connected with any other church that may wear the name Church of Christ. Our only allegiance is to God. There's no hierarchical government beyond the local church. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1 tells us the organization of the church. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at, in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. The bishops are elders and deacons and the saints. That's it. There's no earthly organization. There's no headquarters somewhere that tells us what we're going to believe and practice. Christ is our head, and we do what he said. He's the head of the church. Not the Pope, not any other organization. Christ is the head, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. So saying the churches of Christ is dangerous terminology. It makes the churches of Christ sound like a denomination, which they're not. It makes the churches of Christ sound like they've got some kind of earthly organization that's telling them what to believe and what to practice. And finally, I want to tell you that this language is also used in derision. It is also used in derision. We need to avoid it. Right before someone issues some complaint about the church, they'll paint all churches that wear the name Church of Christ with a broad brush, and they'll throw them all in a bucket, and then they'll begin to blast away. The churches of Christ aren't loving. The churches of Christ don't worship from the heart. The churches of Christ are just worried about the outward action. They're not worried about their attitude. Whatever it may be, lump all of the churches that wear the name Church of Christ into one bucket, and then you can just blast and condemn them all. 
term is used often in derision. Yet the churches of Christ are the bride of Christ. And as such, we need to respect them. In Ephesians chapter 5, go on and look at verse 25 beginning. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The church is the bride of Christ. And as such, we need to respect the church. And while we're at it, we should note that the true churches of Christ are absolutely pleasing to God. Romans 16, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Not every church that wears the name Church of Christ truly is a church belonging to Christ. They don't have Christ as their head. They're not submitting to His authority. But those who are committed to this are pleasing to Christ. They are His church. And we need to be careful about holding them in derision. Finally this morning, phrases that we should never use in religious discussions. We should never use the phrase, I think God wants, or I think God doesn't want. Many times when people are presented with a challenging situation, they assume to know what God would want in that situation. For example, when a man or woman is in an unhappy marriage, many times they'll say, well, God wants me to be happy. Therefore, he'll be okay with me getting an unscriptural divorce because I think God wants me to be happy. Or maybe they're placed in a challenging situation at work. Maybe they're faced with the scenario you either lie or you lose your job. Well, I don't think God would want me to be without a steady source of income. You know, after all, I've got to put food on the table. I've got a lot of hungry mouths depending on me. I don't think God would want me to lose my job. And so, therefore, I think it'd be okay to lie. When we do this, aren't we presuming to know what God wants? And I want to tell you, this phrase is blasphemous for a couple of reasons. First, it assumes that God is just like us. If I think that God would want it this way, then God must want it this way. He must be just like me. In Psalm 50, verse 21, God says, I'm not like you. I don't want the same things that you want. In Romans chapter, uh, sorry, Psalm 50, verse 21, these things I, you have done and I have kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you, but I'll rebuke you and set, you, set them in order before your eyes. But these people thought God was just like him, them, that he's not. And second, this assumes that God's mind is just like my mind, and that's blasphemous at the heart, isn't it? Ways my way. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my, your ways my ways, says the Lord. I can't tell you what God wants because his mind is not like my mind. His ways are not like my ways. His thoughts are not like my thoughts. I can't tell you what God wants just because I might think it's the right thing to do, just because I might want it. I can't tell you that. But I want to tell you, when I say this, when I say, well, I think God wants or I think God doesn't want, you know what I'm doing many times? I'm ignoring what God told me he did want. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. 
But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. In other words, you don't know what God wants. But, look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can we, he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I can know what God wants. And it's not the same thing that I want. It's not what I want. It's what he's told me he wants here in his word. And we need to be committed to doing that. Five phrases I want to propose to you this morning we should never use in religious discussions. My pastor says, I don't see anything wrong with it. Our tradition, in the phrase of Christ, putting all the churches into one bucket like a denomination. And the phrase, I think God wants or God doesn't want. Five phrases I think are detrimental to productive religious discussions. They don't help us come to a better understanding of God's will. Instead, they hamper the discussion. And our objective in every religious discussion is to better understand God's will. Discussions are good. We ought to be having them. But we need to make sure that we have productive discussions by avoiding phrases like these. As we conclude this morning, can we talk about your soul and your relationship to God? How's your relationship to, with God? You know, I know what God wants when it comes to your soul because he's told me. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Have you submitted to him? If you're not a Christian, have you heard the word? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you understand your sin? Are you willing to repent of that sin? Confess your faith in Christ and be baptized in order to become a Christian? Or if you're here this morning and you've become a Christian, but yet you've turned away, you've turned back to some of those idols that we were studying in, about in Bible class this morning, Maybe some of this thinking that we've been talking about this morning that is, is illustrative. There's no better time than right now to get right with God. Have you fallen away? If you have, there's no better time than right now to get right with God. And if we can help, will you let us know while we stand and sing?